Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Joelle, and I am the Vibrarian. Welcome to the Vibrarian Show this evening. My goal is to elevate, enlighten, and empower with information that I just know you will find enlightening and certainly interesting. I am on the Vibrary Radio Network on Blog Talk Radio, and you can find that each week on blogtalkradio.com slash the vibrary. Now that is V as in vibe, good vibes, because that's what we're about. V-I-B-E as in energy, R-A-R-Y. All of the programming here is available. You can call our show line at 646-787-8436. If you're wanting to ask a question, just press the pound key so that I can bring you on. And also, these episodes are available if you're on any kind of podcast directory. You can find these available for you to listen throughout the week and also available on my YouTube channel. Catch up with all of the episodes and things. Now, this show is a topical exploration, and I'm having such a wonderful time getting to kind of go down these paths and explore things that interest me, and I love finding other people who are interested in the same things that I am. I am creating a community that I like to call the Good Vibe Tribe. So as we know, your vibe attracts your tribe, and I love being around people who are really in positive space, who are out there approaching the world with a spirit of joy and happiness. And I would invite you to connect with me and the tribe through my Facebook page at The Vibrarian. You can also follow me on Instagram as well. Now, if you see something that you think should be passed on, please tag me because I want to make sure that your message gets spread to those who I am connected to. All we have to do is pass the good stuff on as much as we like to pass the bad stuff, and eventually there won't be that much bad stuff for us to send along down the pathways. But please tag me and say, get lifted or good vibe tribe so that I can find those Posts and share them with my community. Now, each week here, I get to choose a topic. And for this first season, this is the first episode of my second season of the show, I wanted to delve into something that I think is absolutely fascinating. And it has to do with the time that we are in this very week. And that is the spring or vernal equinox. Now, what's the, you know, the deal with the equinox? I have to tell you, I honestly did not really know that much about it. You know, I kind of heard of equinoxes. I knew that it meant that the day was going to be of equal length around that day, but I never really keyed on to it until 2016. I was blessed to be able to go spend several months down in Playa del Carmen, Mexico, in the beautiful, oh, absolutely gorgeous Riviera Maya. Um, it is a place 
so many amazing and magical things from the cenotes and, of course, beautiful blue ocean. But the number one thing that draws people down there is because people want to see the ruins, the Mayan ruins. And everywhere you go, there are little bits and remnants of the Mayan structures, and sometimes in the most unusual places. You might be going down a little street in Playa del Carmen and come upon a little corner, but the big granddaddy of all that people go to see to the tune of thousands per year on the spring and autumn equinox, the grand, grand pyramid of Chichen Itza is blocked to by people who want to see a phenomenon that only happens at this precise moment of alignment two times a year, and those two times are the equinox. Now, the only reason I know this is because I went, of course, to Chichen Itza on a tour as soon as I got pretty much to Mexico because, of course, you want to see the biggest thing. And on that very first trip, I was so fortunate to run into the most phenomenal, not run into, he was the provider of our educational tour, and his name, as he introduced himself, was Richard. And so for a full day, Richard took us down our tour to Chichen Itza. We went to a Mayan village. We went to a cenote. He filled my head with so much knowledge that I was just so excited. I said, I have to get his card. And so that began what I am happy to say has been a beautiful friendship on one level, but it has also been a time period the last couple years when I learned more about things that exist in our world that I never had any idea or understanding about. So this evening I wanted to talk about the equinox and of course, I had to call my friend and say, Richard, are you available this week? I know it's super busy for you, but I would love to have you come on to talk to us about the equinox and to share some of the knowledge that you had. So I was able to get him to give us some of his time. And so this evening, I am so glad to be sitting here talking with you, Richard. This is Richard Pope. And I would just like to say welcome, Richard. Hey, good, good evening to everybody in North of America. This is the Mesoamerica, the southeast of the Mexican Republic, called Yucatan Peninsula, where we did the Mayan culture, where we have the grand monument Richard? for Chichen Itza. Yes. Richard, let me pause for yes. just one moment because I'm getting a little choppiness in our connection. Um, and so it just was not very clear. So could you repeat what you said? Okay. Good evening, America, North of America. This is Mesoamerica, oh. the southeast of the part of Mexico, and we call Yucatan Peninsula, where located Chinita, one of the most beautiful places from the Grand Mayan culture. Okay. Uh, it's still very choppy. If you all would just give us a moment, let's see if we can resolve this connection issue here. Uh, one moment. And Richard, let me just dial you right back to see if I can get a clearer phone line, okay? One moment, everyone.
Thank you, everyone, for your patience. We'll see if we can get a better line. We were okay. Uh, we're we're back, Richard. Let's see if we can try that again. <laughs> How are you this evening? Yes, you're very clear now. How are you this evening? Thank you for joining us. Good evening to everybody, North of America. This is the Mesoamerica, the southeast of the part of Mexico, and we call Yucatan Peninsula, where we have the grand Mayan site of Chichen Itza. I, I give you, uh, my name is Ricardo Itzpots, like the local tour guide, Mayan native tour guide on this part of the corner. The next point coming, like today, this is the most beautiful phenomenons we have in Chichen Itza, the ones we call equinox, archaeoastronomical equinox we have. So the Mayan culture, this is one of the uh, last groups to evolution and to develop complete and still around it to the 1600 years after Christ. And of course, this Mayan culture is the beginning. This is around it. 31, 1400 years before Christ, August 13. So this is the year zero. It was that the Mayan people, they, they start to develop slowly, slowly, period by period. Chichen Itza, and inclusive, the beginning, this is 400 to 500 years after Christ, the beginning. And where the Mayan people, they built it monumental buildings, the ones we call uh, uh, astronomical building observatory. And the other one, the Grand Temple of the Kukulkan. Of course, we don't have to, we, we, I have changed to mention, this is a spiritual totally, and there is the biggest, the biggest ball court in all of America. And there are another phenomenons we have, like the solstice equinoxes. But today, the next one coming, 21st of March, going to be the most busy place, Chichen Itza. So this one used to be number one, like the grand uh, ceremonial center. Today is the number one in tourism that we're expecting on the next 20, 21st of March, maybe 1,000 tourists to come to visit this beautiful phenomenon. Now... And, well, I wanted to ask you, so uh, you were saying it was the most uh, important and grand structure in the Yucatan. And so the Yucatan is not just in Mexico. We're talking about, like, down into other countries. What, uh, like, what was the population at the peak then of the, the Mayan height of civilization? And the peak? of the Mayan high civilization used to be is a millions of millions. We're talking about more than a 15 million population because it was occupied Tabasco state of Mexico, Chiapas, Campeche, Yucatan, Quintana Roo, Belize, Guatemala, Honduras, Salvador, Nicaragua. This is the big Mayan world. And, and Yucatan Peninsula, this is just only the little last part of the grand evolution. 
And so this structure then is, as you said, it was the most significant. So the number of, like, Mayans who would be coming, would they be coming then from all throughout then the Mayan area, or was it just more, like, like, can you explain that a little? This is the Mayan area, was I mentioned. Uh, I mentioned a different state and a different country. And today we have 6 million population and we still spoke 28 different Mayan official dialects, just only on the Yucatan Peninsula, like me, like the 600,000 population, we still spoke our own language, the ones we call Maya Yucatecan language. Now was... Tulum was like a commerce center, but Chichen Itza, was it really for the purpose of the sky observations that were happening there and then for the religious observation, or were there other things that happened around uh, the Chichen Itza development at that time? There are many cities all around it of Chichen Itza. Tulum is part of the is part of the Allied Ring, Tulum Archaeological Park. There is one building, the Temple of the Descending God, which is the Mayan people on the 800. They make connection with the ones we call Sibil uh, Chaltum in the other side of the peninsula of Yucatan, Merida, Yucatan. In the middle, if we follow it by satellite system, come to be like the Orion Belt, similar like the Egyptian cultural group when they built the temples, according of the Orion Belt. So you're saying that in North America, there is an actual structure that resembles the alignment of the pyramids in Egypt. Of, of course, absolutely. The connection from the, the Egypt, if you follow it in the one triangle system, follow it like this, North of America, this is part of the Chichen Itza and part of the north of the United States, too. If we follow it on the south of America, we're talking about Machu Picchu, Peru, Inca, Maya, Machu Picchu, Peru, and Egyptian. Make the one connection imaginary line, and you will have the equilateral triangle perfection. Perfect. See, the thing that struck me is that you are talking about, I mean, we haven't even got into the archaeological aspects, but we're talking about a time you said that was prior to what we call the common era marked by the beginning of, you know, the birth of Christ or BCE, AD, and et cetera. We have here a flourishing, struck, flourishing culture that had built things that aligned with structures that were 15,000 years old in Egypt, and you're like, of course they lined up. And, you know, our modern science would say, well, why do you say, of course? And so the thing that the Mayans are known for is that their study of the stars and the, the alignment were significant and important enough that they were so much more advanced than what was happening in terms of understanding of astronomy in Europe around the same time. 
you're, you were much more advanced in terms of con conceiving than because it was actually very much integrated into the societal understanding because there were priests who were studying this. I think we went to the observatory at Chichen Itza, and, and this was like serious business then. Yes, because the Egyptian people, like the, like the other cultural groups, to grow around it to the 4,000 years before Christ, and they they developed around it to the three, last 3,000 years before Christ, according to the information from the archaeological anthropological system. 2,850 years before Christ, they built the Grand Temple of the Chaos, and Following the line, this is the magnetic earth line. And that connection is the one we have in Chichen Itza on the 17 degrees inclination of the earth. Mean, the Grand Temple of the Kukulkan, located exactly on the line, on the magnetic line, north and south direction. Now, the thing that is mind-boggling to me with both the pyramids in Egypt and other places and also what I saw at Chichen Itza is that the mathematical and engineering precision that was create that was used to build this structure is just I mean I can't even believe how precise it was. And Chichen Itza, actually, from what you shared with me, it was positioned very different because of the, the is it because of the Kukulkan connection, or, or why is it just slightly different there in terms of alignment? Because day by day and a period by period, they developed it when the when they created the numbers, the numbers like the zero, like the day zero, the ones, like the zero and ones and a dash, following that's the special system, and today we call in our books or in our computers, like the binary system. And the Mayan people, they, they, they created this connection, and they follow the system to measuring the time, the time like the earth, the time with the moon, and they follow the sun. This was the, the, this cultural group, this is the last one to develop complete, following the astronomical system. One relation, of course, with the, with the uh, goddess, like the sun, like the moon, connecting to the human, connecting to the connecting to the civic of the life. This was that the grand calendar from the Mayan people. The scholars they said this is the most most accurate calendar. Different calendars they follow it in the world, but this is the most accurate they discover it and they follow it. 
that everyone, I think, uh, you know, in my listening audience would have been very familiar with the Mayan calendar, you know, as we were leading up to 2012. Uh, Of course, there was a lot of conversation about it. But as you said, the Mayans really are credited with being the best timekeepers and having a very long understanding. We're talking about a cycle of numbers and years that is in like 26,000 year type of uh, revolution. And so the, uh, that is like one of the things that scholars are still uh, looking at, the, how the Mayans developed this, uh, this star knowledge system and this time and mathematical system and i mean it 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 made a lot of sense when you were breaking things down but i have to tell you i don't think that even today with all of our science and mathematical knowledge that someone could engineer a structure that aligns two days of the year or three days of the year you know give or take to show what happens similarly at Chichen Itza. So could you explain the grand phenomenon that happens there then on this day? Yes, the phenomenon, the ones coming like the uh, archaeoastronomical event, uh, this is the maximum, maximum technology they applicated on the last thousand years ago. So the ones you call Temple of the Kukulkan. And that building of the Kukulkan, this is astronomical, astrophysical building, religion, civic and political. This was that too. The archaeological the, ar- the archaeologists day by day, year by year, they still study. And we have many information today. Plus, the pyramid we are observing, there are another two little pyramids. The Mayan people, when they make sure to approach this, when they, when they, uh, they approach the grand knowledge and the grand times of the that's a thousand years like that, they open it, they present it, the beautiful sun shadow on the building applicating like the engineer architecture system, mathematics, calendar, religions connecting to together. That phenomenon on the on the twenty first of March, the next coming, are representing the beginning of the agriculture the beginning of the religion. And the second one we have on September 22, they follow it with the harvest time. The harvest time with the religion we call Thanksgiving Day too. Today in our time, the Mayan people, they follow it. And for us today, this is the astronomical event. Of course, there are 
That is the mathematic explanation now. The building is calendar, four sides, square foundation, exceptional perfectly. Orientation, northeast, angle orientation in the four sides too. And the staircase, 91 steps, each side 364 plus the platform to making 365 the days of the year. So the pyramid okay. is a structural calendar observation. Absolutely. The grand platforms forming the body on the angles, nine and each side, nine plus nine, 18. 15 months, 20 days each, 360, plus the square building on the top where the Mayan people, they decorated with the beautiful mask, the mask representing the God, Son God, where they have to pray a name of that God, Kukulkan, five days continuous. This one, this is the one to complete uh, we call today like a leap year today. Oh, mm, oh a leap okay. year, okay. And the, like, a leap year, like a leap year today. In this case, the Mayan people, they follow it like the one special calendar we call lunar calendar. And mm -hmm. some countries today, the ones they still follow it. And thanks to the investigation of the scholars, today we have changed the side. Other cultural groups, they follow it like the Stonehenge or like the India, or we have chance to mention another ones over there too, like the Incas, Egyptian, they follow it. And finally, when the phenomenon come down, we're talking about month, day, and hour, 4.45 p.m. The sun has to start to shine, projecting on the on the wall of the baluster of the staircase, working like the screen. The sun is a projector. The earth on rotation is a machine. So maybe like today we call like the movie theater in the one open sky, forming seven beautiful isosceles triangles light and six beautiful darkness isosceles triangles mm -hmm. six nights seven days six plus seven thirteen Ten times the four corners of the building is the one we call 52 weeks today mm. I, I mean it's a grand mystery Yes. It is it is so precise, you know, when you're talking about, you know, the steps, it wasn't uh just a random thing. These this is everything is mathematical precision. And one thing that I can share from my experience when I saw the the fall equinox, 
you took me, and it was a rainy day, <laughs> and we had to, you know, we went to uh, another uh, ruin, which was beautiful, but we had to get to Shitsunitsa, but it was to be there, you know, in time for the thing, and I was thinking, oh, no, everybody's standing there in raincoats. It was lots of wet ground and muddy, and it was literally... I was. It was like just wait, just wait, because if we don't see it, it'll. We've only got about three, four more minutes, and if we, if the sun doesn't come out of the clouds, that's it. And literally, the sun came out of the clouds, and the people who were still left, because a lot of people had not stuck it out, all of a sudden just start clapping like, yay! Because I know people travel like thousands of miles, way farther than me coming from Atlanta. I mean, there were lots of people from Asia, places who come just to see that. And I would have been very disappointed, and if I had traveled a long way, I would have been devastated had I not been able to see. But it was literally like a, then a two-minute window where the sun was out, and then the sun went away, and that was it, and we went home. <laughs> you know? But great day <laughs> and a great time for you, and you have chance to tell us to the uh, population in North of America, your group, your students like that, where the precision of the sky, we approach it under to the beauty, under to the rain, cloudy, everything, but the little windows to open it in the sky, in three minutes, in four minutes, you observe the beautiful snake coming down. It's true. Yes, that one true. is an exceptional day. So it is like you said, you have the faith. You have faith and you go the energy. Is the one you decide. I have to be there and I have to see it. I have, we have chance to follow it because my time or my mind said I will be there. I have to do it. I have to see it. And that day is the one to do it, I think. And absolutely incredible. In 44, five minutes maximum, the window opening on the sky is the one to make sure to project the beautiful snake. You remember? Yes, I do. You're a little cha- we're a little choppy again, Richard. I apologize to our listeners. You know, we're calling internationally, and, uh, th- you know, uh, so we've got some connection issues. I'm trying to iron all that out. But um, now, in modern times, of course, the tourists are coming there, but in then the height of the cultural um, observations, this would have, was this like a festival or um, like people who now go on Hajj in like to Mecca with Islam where they make a pilgrimage were people coming there just for those two days what would have been happening around these these dates were the priests leading ceremonies or you know and the federation they have to control now on that day March, uh, 21st of March. I observed on the last three or four years, many groups from the different parts of the world, world and with the part of Mexico too. I saw Otomi, like a cultural group on the central part of Mexico, Nahuatl. I saw Paramuris. I saw Pachimés. I'm sorry, you saw what? I wasn't... Group, could you, re- could you repeat that? I couldn't quite catch what you said. 
Okay, I saw group from the other part of Mexico and other part of the world too. They come to visit Chichen Itza on that day, like the shaman, and they come to worship around it and to dancing and using the instrumental musical system. And they dance around the pyramids on the last the group. The, this different group in Mexico is Otomi, Raramuri, Paquimés, Nahuatl, Tarahumaras, Zapotecos, like that. And the other part in South of America, I saw from the Machu Picchu, Peru, Incas, they come here too. The new, the new Incas today, they come here to visit it and are dancing too around it. And inclusive the shamans from uh, the different groups, they, they join together and they come like a big group of 40 persons from the different countries and they and they come on in Chichenita March, 21st of March, to making the special ceremony. Because they believe that on that moment is when they act, when the energy flowing totally, totally, because the sun are shining, the precision, when the snakes are coming, the sun shadow body snakes, when they come down, they said, this is the energy I picking in this moment, they said. Now, it's very magic. It was very magical to me, you know, just to like realize that I was sitting and standing where millions of feet had stood for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, Kuku Khan. Everywhere you're looking, this is uh, this is the most prominent. Is this the most prominent god figure to the Mayan culture? Kukulkan. This is the name of the god. And translating literal system, feather serpent. Translating in the cultural system, sun god. This is the prominent god in the Mayan culture. In some areas, in a different language, like in Tulum, they call Kunabku. In a part of Guatemala, they call Kukumach. Different group of Mayans, but different language, Mayan language. This was that we had a chance to hear it, to hear in different places where we visited. They call with a different name. Tell me. I don't remember <laughs> from where we visited. <laughs> you said, uh, I mean, would this be like Ra, the Egyptian equivalent of Ra then in the Ra. Mayan structure? Mm-hmm. Yes. Egyptian they call Ra. Okay. Incas they call Inti. Mapuche mm. Aymara they call Viracocha. Different names different culture, different language, but the name of the god in one translation, Sun God. Kukukan, okay. like a feather snake, just only metaphor system representing the energy, solar energy. That's what I mean, the Kukulkan, solar energy. So in the spring, the solar energy is, uh, is it, it's going up the pyramid? 
and then in the harvest it's coming down, or do I have that reversed? <laughs> no. In the morning, 21st of March, if you remember, in the, on the temple, the warrior's temple, where, mm-hmm. the oh, yes. mall, where the chakmol, like the statue, representing the messenger of the God, and a holding mm-hmm. the solar, uh, holding a one stone plate, and we translate it like a solar disk. The sun in the morning, when March, ever 21st of March, the sun has to post exactly on the stone plate, the ones we call solar plex today. In the afternoon, the sun shadow, the sun has to shine the, the snake body on the baluster of the staircases to making sure to coming down from the top to the bottom. 45 minutes taken and has to shine the head of the snake. One minute after, the snake has to start to disappear one by one. The head first and then the triangles forming the body. The last one going to disappear is the, the first triangle on the top, the ones we call the, the tail of the snake. As soon as to disappear, that's the last triangle, darkness totally like that. Here goes that precision, how many, how many minutes to coming down and how many minutes to stay exactly, just only one minute, and a 45 minutes begin to take to disappear complete. So how, I mean, it's mind-boggling because you're talking about they, they calculated the amount of time that the sun would hit these engineered angles within these, the structure so that even, you know, it would be down to an exact minute that this shadow would appear and disappear. It is absolutely mind-boggling. How, how many years, uh, I mean, we're, and right now we're observing, as you said, the third and outer pyramid at Chichen Itza. How many years encompassed the construction from beginning what what archaeologists have uncovered so far let me just pause and say that this is an active archaeological site and so there's still discoveries being made every day but as far as what is known now how many years were we talking about that this took to be constructed in they're talking about in three biggest periods 700 years after Christ, this is the first temple, like a foundation, the ones located exactly on the top of the one cenote. The second building, the second building, this is around 800 years after Christ. And the third building, the ones where they projected a snake body, 100 years after Christ, approximately. No specific time how many years they took to build in each okay. one, but they're talking about it, the period because the, on the occupation time, 1570, many books of Mayan codex, they 
throw it in the fire on the occupation site. Okay, okay. let me let me pause and make sure I'm understanding because it's a little choppy. You said in the 1500s. Um, okay. Is when they burned those Mayan codex by Diego de Landa. So when they when they they burned the Mayan codex, codex the the written the records of the Mayan was burned. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry, it was a little choppy, so I'm just repeating. Uh, they burned the records, the cultural records, basically of the Mayans were destroyed. Yes. Then okay, they destroy it. They destroy it. All kinds of Mayan codex. When you when if you have opportunity to visit. Peabody Museum, Massachusetts, there is a one piece of the Mayan Codex, not, not really big. In New York, there is another one. But when you have opportunity to visit Madrid, Spain, Museum of Las Americas, there is one four meters longest Mayan Codex. In Dresden, Germany, in the United City, there is another one six-meter longest beautiful books, the Mayan Codex. There is another one, three beautiful books surviving outside of Mexico. And Merida, Yucatan, there is another one we call Chilam Balam. Chilam Balam. Mm -hmm. Okay. The Guatemala, there is another book we call Topol Book. Mm -hmm. In the Museum of Mexico City, surviving another two little books over the Mayan Codex in that museum. So this is the unique one surviving, the biggest one outside of Mexico. So this was that we considered 99% the books was disappeared, they destroyed it. You know, there is such a thing that um, is is one of the more sorrowful things that I can say about the loss of cultural artifacts out of the countries that generated them being out in places in Europe, you know, you're mentioning Paris and in Massachusetts and things. Um, and so these really are quite honestly and rightfully the property of the Mexican government, the Mayan people, the Egyptian people who we know, you know, every museum has mummies and sarcophagus and stuff. This really, I feel, is devastating. And I can't imagine if today in, say, the United States, if they took the all of our our records of history and the letters and things we have preserved about the foundations, and if all of those were just burned and completely wiped out, that I I just you know I feel so strongly about that that it's just one of the wrongs that is needing to be righted in our present day. And quite honestly, that is one of the reasons why I wanted to continue and have like an educational relationship with you because you are Mayan, and I just don't feel like it would be right for me to be learning about your culture, excuse me, from 
someone not Mayan. I mean, absolutely, hats off to the scholars who study things academically, the archaeologists who do these things that really do bring knowledge. But if I have an opportunity to speak with a scholar who is actually part of the culture, I believe that there is a an added knowledge that is given because you live the Mayan life. I, you, you know, as you shared with me, you were 17 when archaeologists were coming to your community to to gather records from your shamans and elders and to, like, understand what was going on. And, you know, I'm I'm so glad to be able to have you be able to give us a window into your pride and everything that has come to create the Mayan people. So, you know, I, I'm very glad for that. But... Um, can you speak to the, you know, like the archaeological efforts? Uh, because some of these things, like 40 years ago, it was 40, 50, 60, it was just jungle. There was no, when, when did Chichen Itza begin to be, was it overgrown completely in the jungle? Or did it ever, like, go to ruin to where it wasn't even known? Or has it always been preserved because it was so big? Okay, the when the Spaniards make when the Spaniards make the Mayan people to abandon it on the 1600s to the 1640s, like that's a epidemic, a pandemic system. When they brought the black flag, the flag is the one to make it disappear to abandoning the culture like that. And 200 years, so 1841, Frederick Catterwood. John Lloyd Stevenson, they came on the Yucatan Peninsula, they discovered Tulum, Chichen Itza. What about the jungle? It was bited, all kind of the buildings we have on the sea. And 1900 years, 1900 years, 1905 exactly, Eric Thompson, he came on the Yucatan Peninsula, he bought Chichen Itza with 65 U.S. dollars. And wow. To the, to the <laughs> owners of the land, 65 U.S. dollars figurated 1905. And he out it by the mechanical machine, not the professional system. It's uh, Edward Herbert Thompson. And he used the mechanical machine to out in the cenote, the sacred cenote. They, because the native Mayan people, they said, our ancestors, they throw gold, they throw silver, they throw everything there in the cenotes. In this case, he started to dig in out it, and he takes a lot of a lot of things from the Mayan culture, like the idols, ceramics, like gold, silvers, everything like that, and they take it in the outside of Mexico. But as soon when he's left before to left to abandon the place too, he sold out Chichen Itza again to the Barbachanos. Barbachanos, like the governors in, general, in Yucatan State, he said, it's okay, pay back you, uh, the, the Chichen Itza place. 
but absolutely mm-hmm. just only they occupied it like they own the area too. The mm-hmm. group of archaeological, the archaeological, the archaeologists, they can't work inside it and inclusive and inclusive exactly a 50 meters, 150 feet before to the temple, the grand temple of the Kukulkan used to be, they, they built it, the one road to connecting from Merida Cancun. I remember on the 1981, we stopped. We parked the bus just only at 30 meters to the Grand Temple. You come down, you climb it, you don't pay any pesos. You go, if you want a one stone, you pick it up and you take it in home like that. 1981. Mm. Just only around it to the 1988 when the governors, they work to each other with the uh, international groups. And then they said, we have to protect it, the mm-hmm. temple. We have to protect it, the place. His was that too. They built another road outside of the line, and then they closed that road. Used to be they built it inside to the temple, inside to the Chichen Itza pyramid. This was that when we passed before to approach the, the Chichen Itza city, there is the huge curve, a huge curve like the similar like the 180 uh, degrees running around it to the grand city and then we pass back, we pass inside it. So that one is thanks to the time when the international groups, they work to each other with Mexico and they said, we have to change it, we have to protect it. This was that they start to protect it too. 81, no one talk about the phenomenon no one knows about the astronomical system. Thanks to my teacher, on the 1989, he discovered one archaeoastronomical event. When I stood it to come to be like a tour guide, thanks to the goddess too, he came to be my teacher, like the last part of his life. The name of this teacher, this scholar, is Victor Segovia Pinto one of the most important teachers mm-hmm. in the Yucatan Peninsula, mm-hmm. and he said, this is the Mayan system. This is the groups we have to follow. It. This is the ones we have to study. And they said, this was that too. And we talking about today, the Mayan, they get achieved totally. So there was no written record of the phenomenon and all that because the things had been destroyed. So it was only because he was measuring and studying and observing then that they realized that this phenomenon was even happening? That phenomenon, just only thanks to that one security guard into the archaeological site for in the coincidentally on that day 21st of march he was sitting in front of the the ball court in front of the temple and he's resting one moment he's opened the eyes one moment he's watched the baluster of the staircase and he said wow I'm observing one beautiful song shadow, and he called then uh, he called the 
the archaeologists on that moment, and they said, come here, come here, we have the one phenomenon on the building. And who's projecting the snake on the, on the building? This was that the archaeologists, when they came, they observed it. And they said, wow, this is archaeoastronomical event. The ones Victor Segovia Pinto is talking about it. In this case, on that moment is when they start to study, to make investigation. I remember on that moment when they start to make that in this, those investigations, many, many groups from the Russian, from the United States, from the Spain, from the other part of the world, like the England, German, they work together with Mexico and they brought the maximum computers, cameras, everything like that, and working with the one satellite. And they said, we have to check what's the mean, please, how often we have chance to see it. See, of course, yes, of course, they discovered it. This was that day we have chance to see it. Precision, equinox, equal night, equal day. That day has to be there, the snake. The snake for the Grand Mayan, representing the solar energies coming from the heaven to the ground to fertilize and to colonize to open in the pollenite system. Today we call spring season today. Mm. I'm just, it's like the the one minute makes such a difference, you know what I'm saying, in terms of what we have as a treasure. And, I mean, what do you, thank goodness, well, I guess we're, we were in an age when there was computing available because if you have to wait, you know, 364 days <laughs> if you're looking yes. for it to do one thing and then you miss it it's doing another thing you know it'd be like well it must have just been a fluke but there is nothing that is accidental <laughs> about <laughs> Chichen Itza clearly now part of what makes the shadow phenomenon happen is that each one of those kind of steps on the uh, balustrade as you say actually slightly uh, moved from the one below it, but you actually cannot perceive that degree of difference with your naked eye. It looks very much like a straight up and, you know, very symmetric, but there is actually, I mean, we're talking about just a few degrees kind of turn that, makes this phenomenon happen as the sun shadow hits the sunlight hits it. Yes, talking about with the one scholar, uh, archaeology and engineer architecture system like that, and they said the baluster of the staircase, the staircase baluster, does precision thanks to the level the Mayan people, they level all the area, area, according of the, leave, the water levels, and then they follow the peninsula, set like that, to making sure when the, when the suns are coming down, in this case, they skew a the little bit the building, they skewed a little bit the building on the northeast, and the wall, the wall from the corners like that, as you observe, is around the corners from the bottom to the top, the biggest to the smallest. 
things that are smaller round the corners is the one to chop it the light and then to form in the little triangles. Because or if it's a straight corner, like today in our system architecture style, maybe come to be like a straight line only, not exactly like that little mm-hmm. isosceles triangle. But this is just only observing the building, you have changed to focus exactly the piece a piece, the wall is not flat. The wall is concave. The wall. Mm. Like the court in like inside the ball court too. The biggest the long the longest wall, like a hundred meters longest, eight meters wide, that one too. Or those one too are concave, not flat vertical. Right, but it looks like it's flat when you're in it. In that, in the ball court, it's like a matter of like a very small degree as well in terms of centimeters that you cannot see it with your eye. That it's a very, very long concave. It's not a deep concave arc. It's it very, very flat. <laughs> very flat. The concave no more than seven centimeters. The ones they split it. On 100 meters long and 8 meters wide. So that one we translated in mathematic system, millimetric system concave. Hmm. I mean, all of this is. It's. I mean, it's. Uh, it's very fascinating to me because uh, you know, again, the what we find now is that. Our mathematics and engineering, we can understand some of the things, but if we did not already have the model of it being done, then we would not necessarily have the ability to recreate the structure even with our modern technology. And the average size of one of, say, the lower stones in Chichen Itza, we're talking about an object that weighs how much and and is about how many feet long by how many feet wide. Yes, the side by side of the pyramid has 51 meters, like 153 feet, and each side perfectly. Those one is the ones to make come to be today with size ever 52 years, over 52 like that, the corners. The corners 52, what you're talking about, like a meter system. The question we make, are they to measure on 52 metric system? If in those times wasn't existed any metric system like today, mm-hmm. but they measure it. In this case, shamans like the Grand Pakal from Chiapas, like the king in what in Chichen Itza, the Akin, Akin Pakal, Akin Pakal, like that ones work together and. Mm-hmm. That one, that person, that personality, we consider it like the, like the maximum shaman in those times. So means was was built with a special mind, like today we call genius. 
Boy. Okay. So, like, this yeah. would be an Einstein type uh, of, Einstein of used to science and like physicists. I mean, uh, under, or even like Da Vinci, like understanding how to uh, measure these. It's. I've just, yeah. you know, one of the things that is um, is a common story is that. The you know European knowledge it was the height of science and reason, but when you step back a few hundred years uh, prior to the the age of enlightenment and mathematics and science in Greece and and then moving onwards through Rome and Europe, we have cultures that uh, in Asia and Mexico all over that are that were using science that was more sophisticated and the, the Mayans weren't talking about flat earth while the Europeans were still arguing about whether the earth was round. The Mayans were already working with a solar system understanding and star maps. Is that correct? Yes. And the I think when the one person in those times, like the king of Pakal, so talking about this person, the one of those beautiful carvings in Chiapas, Palenque, Palenque, Chiapas, where they left behind the history of the Pakal. And they said, Pakal before to build the shaman on that moment, 600 years after Christ, they said, that day, the next one coming, going to be our leader of the shamanic, like mm -hmm. the governor going to be. When the day when the shaman was built, according to the information we have from the archaeologists too and the scholars, and they said, just only 11 years on life when he's rich, like the go, like the maximum leader of the shamanists in those times, because they said that little boy has is a has a special mind and is a grand knowledge, like the like the one Illuminati. 11 years mm -hmm. only, and he reached to the power. When he died, 100 years after, like the governor, when he died. On the top tomb, they carved beautiful under under reliefs presentation. He is in the middle. He, there are a lot of car, uh, car, under relief carving presentation, but absolutely, when you watch that carving, front is a one figure. One corner is an other figure. The vertical posi uh, horizon position is another figure. Hmm. They start to talk about this. And Eric von Denecken from the yeah. from the Switzerland, he comes down to Mexico, and he and he start to study and to interpret what that means. That beautiful car that beautiful carbon information, and he understood. He said, "This is the one." Uh, astronaut inside into the one spaceship driving the own spaceship and mm -hmm. in this case the different group of the uh, investigators like the 
Erika, like the Yuri Koronosov from Russia, Russian, Tatiana Broskoyakov, and the last one from the United States, we call uh, Linda Shealy. Linda Shealy. They work together and the other personalities from the other country flying, but not mm-hmm. in the one spaceship. It is like in the uh, uh, astral system flying. So mm. that astral system, it is like when we ask it to the Hopi Indians, Navajos, where the ancestors go, and they said just only they pass to the one level to the other level. That one is the astral system, and the shaman, like the Grand Pakal, is passed in the levels to the other levels too. And they presented like the beautiful carvings on the top tongue. Well, I, of course, I love um, uh, Erica, Eric Von Doniken, who wrote um, Chariot of the Gods, which is like the the very first kind of um, what we would call an ancient alien theory kind of thing, which started to look at the records in our archaeology and the actual yes. structures of the archaeological things, such as the pyramids, and started to look to see where the possible origins could be because some of the technology in terms of construction, if you're talking about cutting stone stone blocks that fit together so that a piece of paper cannot even be fit into the crease, that it's been placed to such precision that a shadow phenomenon two days a year, you know, uh, goes down it, my mind and the media is like, well, we didn't do that by ourselves. You know what I'm saying? But, of course, the popular science theory has been very much against that. But when you actually see, as you talk about that, um, that with the um, the four sides, and when you look to see the carvings like on the ball court, you can clearly see the the structure that it does look like what we see modern astronauts wearing in terms of being able to breathe, uh, the helmets and things. This is carved in the stone structures there. And, you know, there's a temple, there's the observatory where, you know, learning the stars and even to know to look to the stars you know, to me, it's very much a logical conclusion that there was a relationship there from extra dimensional or extraterrestrial kind of beings, whether you want to say it was divinely given, say, from God, or if it was uh, given from beings who came that were more advanced. To me, it's kind of a matter of what you prefer to say, <laughs> but. Um, it's very clear when you start to look at these structures that there is elements to earth history that have not fully been explained to our satisfaction. You, you know, once you start to kind of peel away the official version of things, it gets a little deeper, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes, uh, many questions floating on the air, like the ones you're talking about it too, and aliens, extraterrestrials, like I'm talking about it, many questions floating on the 
years. And just only we, I have chance to answer to this question, like many goddesses from the different cultural groups around the, the world, many thousand years before Christ, all kind of those goddesses, they come from the heaven mm-hmm. with the, the whole net, with the machine, with the car, with the fire machine. They fire. Mm-hmm. Fire machines. Smoke and fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was that we cite two, like the, like the scholars, translators, epigraphists. they talking about it. This is the machines. This is the machine from the heaven. This is the astronaut system. But we don't have to go too far away. Just only we have to remember this. Egyptian, they carved a beautiful, uh, ma- a beautiful uh, uh, machines from the from the caverns. Look like the UFO UFO system like that. And we say, why not? So this is a uh, four thousand, seven thousand years before Christ. No one knows exactly if those people they has a connection. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, <laughs> it is. So we, uh, yeah. This I is mean, the when one. you when you look at it and say, well, Kuku Khan is the feathered uh, serpent god, right? Yes. Well, if you if you look at a being coming up and going down, uh, you know, and you look at how. Today's technology would look with a person with either a hang glider, you know, and if all you know is that birds have wings and those wings are comprised of feathers, then if you see something, the closest way that you can describe it are with the known objects around you. And a lot of times the things that are said as well, these are primitive paintings or primitive carvings. And what they really were trying to say was X, the blah, blah, blah. But really what they drew was what they saw. And if it had smoke and fire shooting out behind him when he came and left, then they drew smoke and fire coming behind them. It wasn't symbolic. It was very actual literal. Yes. And uh, this was that, I think, on the temple of the Chichen Itza. Uh, if you remember, jaguars and eagles, mm-hmm. up oh, to the yes. carving, there are personalities coming from the heaven, from the sun directly, and uh, using helmets and sunglasses. So that presentation <laughs> is the one to say, those one is the God is representing. And so if we talk about like the extraterrestrial, maybe we say, this is, some people they said too, this is superficial. In this case, major we say, better we say too, this is part of the presentation of the cultural group from the Toltec to the Mayan mixing. Religion, religion, tradition, political, everything too. Why not? But they representing both cultural groups. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, the, to me, the practicality, right? There was a very practical aspect to 
the cultural and societal observations as well. So if you're looking at what we in the United States would know as the Farmer's Almanac, which, you know, Benjamin Franklin was the, the, the author of it, and, you know, to know when to plant your crops, know when there were going to be certain phases of the moon, to know when it was going to be seasonal changing, it was absolutely essential that when you were dependent on your agricultural for sustenance in a very direct way, that you had to be very much aligned to nature. So the time of, say, the equinox, which marks then a change from the longest, the equality of the day and night, and then the season is going to shift into either your planting or your, your winter, depending on where you are on the planet, you absolutely would observe that because everything in terms of you feeding yourself adequately in six months or the next year was dependent on you knowing and understanding these astrological things that were then recorded in the archaeological structures that we see remaining. It is super important. Yes. And in the United States, Wyoming, let's talk a little bit about... Uh-oh, we've got a bit... We're Pause one second, Richard. It's a bit choppy again. Sorry about that. Could you repeat yourself? Wyoming was a group of the Shoshones and a cross. What you said in Wyoming... I'm, I'm sorry, it's still a little technical difficulties here. <laughs> the signal's just really uh-huh. choppy. In Wyoming... Okay. In Wyoming, with the group of the Shoshones and a cross over there, they remarked circular lines with the stone, similar like the one in Stonehenge, but in the with a smaller cycles. Those cycles they split it. Those circles, sorry, those those circles, they split it in four pieces. The ones mm-hmm. we call today solstice, equinoxes, and it includes the archaeologists too, I think they translated medicinal circle stone. The medicine wheel. The medicine wheel. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. And we say it's part of the grand culture over there and has connection with the moon, has connection with the sun. They know about the solstice in in the different kind of periods of the life. In this case, the Mayan people here, so they follow it in the different temples, representing studying the moon, studying the sun. I think the most important connection is the moon, the ones who follow it. They follow it with the life, like the pregnancy time. Mm-hmm. They call the midwife, they follow the moon. They call night moon cycles. And mm-hmm. the moon they related with the religion. And the moon, they related with the plants, with the bees, with the different kind of the animals too. In this case, we make the question, why is important the moons? Why is the gravity, the gravity of the moon with our life? Because mm-hmm. in our, our body too, maybe we, today we take by, we, by the technological system, we have changed society. 75, mm-hmm. 70% of our body 
is water and the rest is blood and all like that. That mm-hmm. system wants to regulate it to our temperature. Minus water, we have the fever like that. So mm-hmm. in this case, it's like, wow, what about the regulation with the, what about the, uh, the ladies' period? Exactly mm-hmm. like the moon, 28, there is a period, there is a cycle like that too. What about the ovulation? The ovulation, the first day, moon crescent. Second day, mm-hmm. moon crescent. Mm-hmm. Moon crescent with 13 days, moon crescent is the one we call today 13 days ovulation. The 14 mm-hmm. days is the maximum one like that. The beginning of the grand fertility lady. It is so much in the the conversation with you, you know, this evening, and as I've been on many of your tours and as we've sat over dinner, there are so many layers of things to look at um, in terms of our Earth record, and there's no denying the significance of the Mayan contribution to that body of knowledge. We would not have the timekeeping or the mathematics that we employ today, uh, the binary system, without some Mayans having brought that knowledge uh, forward. Now, whether it was through their connection to a star peoples, uh, you know, the scholars will debate that, I'm sure, for, for many, many years to come, you know. But um, I do plan to have additional conversations with you over the next several months about uh, some of these topics having to do with, you know, the numbers and that that cycle of the moon cycle. Cause it's just it's quite fascinating. But for the equinox phenomenon, um, and as we're now moving into the equality, I think that there is actually a move in our global energy to bring things to more equality. You know, there is a a movement to return artifacts to cultures that they were taken away from. There is a move to share the cultural understandings of others and to cross bridges as evidenced by the hundreds of thousands of people that come to the Riviera Maya and to Chichen Itza in order to experience that. And so, you know, to me, to be able to say that we can equal out and balance some of the imbalances that have occurred, because we know that a healthy globe and civilization must be in balance. We cannot, you know, deplete ourselves of our resources. Um, we are to have bountiful harvest instead of lack. And by kind of going back to our roots as a people, not any one culture, but us as a globe, to go back to these roots and to bring that knowledge forward today. There were so many kids with their parents on the tours at Chichen Itza, and I think that that's awesome to give your child and yourself like an opportunity to 
visibly see math and science in action in a way that is extremely unique. And as you know, I love to bring groups down to the Riviera Maya, and I always am connected with you. And so I think that anyone who goes, if you're hearing this show at some point, please, I want to share with you. Uh, and Richard, if you can share how people can contact you for uh, directly for tours through your Facebook page. We invite uh, your group in the United mm-hmm. States and North of America to visit this beautiful country, a specific Riviera Maya, Playa del Carmen. Uh, like you said, why not? We have a chance to take a stand to visit the different archaeological sites. We have special service, private service, uh, exceptional information we have. Absolutely, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> And your your current Facebook page, uh, let me uh, just spell it for everyone. You know, with Facebook, you put the at sign, and it is going to be Tours Privados Riviera Maya. So that is T-O-U-R-S-P-R-I-V-A-D-O-S-R-I-V. E R I A M A Y A. And also, I will put the links to this information and all of the places that you will be able to listen to this interview on the YouTube page, on my Facebook page. And if you contact me directly, I will absolutely put you in touch with Richard if I am not in Mexico at that time myself. Uh, and I absolutely will be putting together another event with you, Richard, to bring groups of people down. Because when I say that this little hour conversation, we've only touched the very tip of the iceberg. Now, I do have a – actually, I have a caller on the line. Oh, one of the people who've been on your um your tours before is listening. I don't know if you remember uh, Mike and Hanifa, who have traveled Mike with you. <laughs> yes, Mike and Hanifa, absolutely. I remember this couple, this family. Twice time they come to visit. <laughs> yes, they had a family reunion. They had their own trip when I brought them there. And I have, like, I know my friend Tanya has been listening. Um, every time I've been there, I have uh, taken people back with you. You've taken me to some of the other ruins, uh, Iqbalam or the Jaguar Iqbalam. Temple. Oh, wow. Jaguar yes. Temple was absolutely amazing, and we could have a whole nother conversation about that, and I'm sure we will at some point. But, you know, I <laughs> I wanted to let you know that, uh, you know, you have educated people beyond a level. <laughs> I hear the Mexican dogs in the background, right? <laughs> That's an ever-present situation there, but, um, you know, I was trying to see if we were going to be able to get Hanif on the line, but it does not look like it. But um, I know that she brought her children and nieces and nephews were there. 
and they, again, were young people and were able to learn so much from the experience. So, again, if you um, if you are in the Yucatan, in the Playa del Carmen area, um, please do take the time. It is worth the time from Cancun. Now, if a person wants to go to Chichen Itza and they're in Cancun or Playa del Carmen, what what does that look like? How do, what does a, a trip to, day trip to Chichen Itza look like? Uh, I think Playa del Carmen is the best way, mm-hmm. the best mm-hmm. place, and the best point because Playa del Cancun located a one hour in the other side. In this case, Playa del Carmen was our location. You are, you are close to you, other places, other touristical areas, other uh, archaeological sites. In this case, if, there, if, you have, if you want to come to visit our place of Riviera Maya, Playa del Carmen. Joel, he knows about this beautiful place. <laughs> yes, I do. It is absolutely beautiful. It's about um uh, it's a full day. You have to uh definitely plan for it, but I will tell you it's absolutely worth it. And um your time at the pyramid itself will be like very educational, but you will also get to experience other parts of Mayan culture in terms of visiting a community, which also then helps sustain that community, the traditional Mayan communities, which one of the things that people always say is that, oh, I thought all the Mayans disappeared. And it's like, no, I know Mayans. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that whole thing about the disappearing Mayans, what is up with that? Why do people, people believe that? <laughs> uh, yes, many people believe that Maya, that all the Mayan people was disappeared. But absolutely, because the books when they were when they wrote the books and they said Mayan people disappeared. But the question is this: the culture was disappeared and started to decline, but the population still here on the Mayan world. It was that today. We have many Mayan languages today. Thanks to the time today, we have chance to study the Mayan language in Yucatan Peninsula. Quintana Roo, Yucatan, Campeche. If we go at the university, we have chance to study the Mayan language Yucatec. Today, <clears throat> and inclusive, like the one example, my, my uh, nephew, my nephew, he studied uh, <clears throat> archaeology and he's working now with a group of archaeologists in the United States. They still mm. he's still studying and different cultural groups, ethnography system too. He's worked with a group of ethnographists in the United States and they visited different places in Mexico. So few months ago they were in Chiapas. Few years ago, they were in the white, in the with a group of the Hopi Indians, Navajos, and a few mm-hmm. months ago, they visited Machu Picchu, Peru, studying the ethnography system over there too. Yeah, mm. this is the one example I have just to mention. Well, that is awesome. I am going to be able to hear. So we have Hanifa on the line. Hanifa, welcome to the Vibrarian Show. Now, you have experienced Chichen Itza and Richard. What do you think? Hi, Richard. 
Hey, Joel. Hi, honey. Hi. Yes, I hear you, honey. Hi. How are you? How about, about tell Good. me about your experience about that Chichenita city you were? Yeah, so. Hello? Um, hello? Yeah, you look correct. Okay. So, yes. Um, well, the, of course, you know, the first time with you, Joelle, we went, um, me and Mike, and we loved it so much, we brought the kids back. Um, and, you know, some of our other extended family members. But um, it's funny when you guys were talking earlier about, of course, Richard, he gives the most awesome um, explanation of, you know, Chichen and the Mayan calendar um, and all the other things that you guys were talking about, the crops and the different seasons and um, things of that nature. But the kids, um, when they went, of course, we got to, I think the second time around, um, we Richard, we were yeah. with the actual person that yeah. drew us the Mayan. He did our birthdays in the Mayan, using the yeah. Mayan um, calendar or something like that. I can't, I mean, yeah. I can't explain Maybe when you come back here, that, but. <laughs> maybe when you come back here, I, we will get to take you at the Ex-Balam and other beautiful mm-hmm. place where you have chance to climb it. Um, Chichen Itza, if you come back on March, do mm-hmm. it. The tour in 21st of March. A lot mm-hmm. of people, of course, but finally going to be wow. It's exceptional mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. If I could fly down there by Thursday, I'd be down there, Richard. I really would. (laughs) But uh, I won't be able to do that uh, this week. But did you happen to see, Hanifa, did you really kind of get a sense of that whole kind of extraterrestrial when you were looking at everything? Yeah, me and Mike both said how (laughs) we just wondered, like, how can human beings, I mean, just a normal human, if it was, if it was just us, um, how could we have lifted those heavy? Um, They're bo- huge, all right? To build those pyramids and all of that. Yeah, they're huge. It's amazing. But I like Richard that you know you make us all feel like we're part of the family. Like you, you weren't just our tour tour guide. We felt like you know you were one of our family members, and we appreciate that. You made everyone, um, you kept everyone's attention during our tour, even the teenagers mm. the, <laughs> that are hard to keep their attention. You know how teenagers are. Um, and there's no yeah, cell phones down there. <laughs> I would say cell phones yes. don't work down there, so you get your quality <laughs> time in with your family, okay? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, Hanifa, I appreciate you calling in. I knew you when you commented on our Facebook that, you know, I used your picture. Thank you for letting me use your picture <laughs> with Richard of your tour day. But uh, thank mm-hmm. you. And and I know Mike is listening in as well. So hello to you. Yes, and please. I'm so glad you all got to experience <laughs> the magic of Chichen Itza, too. Yes, and we tell all our friends uh, if they ever are there to please go, especially with you on your tour, um, 
to visit. Because um, we also went to Tulum and did the um, Tulum, mm-hmm. but I know that was with you. I don't know if Richard goes to Tulum also, but that was oh, yeah. awesome too. <laughs> well, but I want to come back, Richard. Any, my, I would say my tour was nothing like Richard's tour because I was only repeating what I could remember in the 100-degree heat (laughs) (laughs) from what Richard had said, you know. So I absolutely – I am not a tour guide, and I will tell you that it's very important (laughs) for people who are down there that you use the tour guides who are official because this is important. I would say uh, all the tour guides are Mayan pretty much, and this is an opportunity for – it, you, them to be ambassadors to teach people about themselves instead of hearing their story from somebody else who got it wrong. So I absolutely encourage people to go ahead and get an official tour. It is absolutely worth it. It is definitely worth it. Well, Hanifa, thank you. We're good and ready. We're in our last three minutes here. So thanks for calling okay. in. And, of course, right. <laughs> thank you. So Bye, thank Richard. you, everyone. You know, Rick, <laughs> thank you. This has been a wonderful conversation. And I do want to share with everyone that uh, I will be making a transcript, a written transcript of our conversation available at a later point because of the technical challenges that we had with the sound. I know that it was a little hard to hear at times. Um, So I will definitely make sure that we have a a written presentation of the conversation that we had this evening, and I will make that available through my YouTube and my Facebook and web page going forward. And, you know, Richard, I, I thank you. I enjoy our conversation every time that we talk. And I always learn new things okay. from you. And I expect that around the solstice time, we will probably try to have you on again because I really do want to get into the number, the number system and the significance of the calendar and the time because there's a whole lot of stuff that we did not cover in our narrow focus this evening about this very specific phenomena. But Chichen Itza is one of the seven new wonders of the world. And so it is on uh, all of the lists of if you're alive and you have an opportunity, it is one of the seven places that you should make your way to see. And so, you know, Richard, I appreciate you for shining some light, if you will, to illuminating with your sun of knowledge about this phenomenon as it pertains to the Mayans and Chichen Itza and all of its magic. I appreciate you so much, Richard. And this is the ones we call in archaeological system is through magical, this magical mm-hmm. place, the mystic, totally. This is the grand mystery we still, we still following or we still making that a question to beautiful place, that uh, energy you feel when you approach it, that each corner, that each place you're going to visit, it, like Ekbalam, Chichen Itza, so the absolutely you skin you feel like the 
and that mm-hmm. you feel uh, passing on your body like that. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, this is this is the Mayan cultures like one still on mystery because even like we students, scholars, they following investigation, but we still making question. It's exceptional. <laughs> it's I know in in five years we'll be having a different conversation because there will be more discoveries about what is contained within and below Chichen Itza and other places that have yet to even begin to be excavated. And I love that we're in this time of of really a new advancement in our awareness of who we have been as a global society. So what used to be remote inaccessible pockets of the world that are now being brought up with digital scanning and thermal energy and things that are not destroying the environment in order to study something. We are now able to thankfully uh, do things in a way that is more sensitive without the loss of those structures and having to rebuild them after they were tore down accidentally by bulldozers. So to me, it's exciting because uh, we'll be able to do more and learn more, and then it will still be there for longer periods of time without it being destroyed by our curiosity. Absolutely, and uh, many investigations day by day we still have and many discoveries we still have today. This was that <clears throat> the on the south side of Quintana Roo, Bacalar, they discovered another new Mayan city, Mayan site. The temple is big too, not like the pyramid, not like the temple of the Chichen Itza, but it's big. And on the line, the borderline between Guatemala and Campeche, they discovered another place 12 years ago, the ones we call El Tigre or the Tire, like that. Mm-hmm. That place, uh, scholars, archaeologists, they said, wow, that one is really big, 78 mm-hmm. meters hike, that temple. So like the mm. little mountain, that beautiful job. Well, so your your uh, your it's your nephew, right? So he will have a life work of study, just as you have, uh, that will carry on like really a legacy. And I think that's really cool. Uh, it yeah. has to be exciting to have that energy and know that there are things that are still emerging that you will get to be part of the cataloging and recording of that. Whereas, you know, um, many in the first generations in the 18 and 1900s, it was as labor. It was not, you know, they w- the archaeologists would interview and talk with people in the villages, but now to be the archaeologist, to be the scientist, the engineer, uh, to be able to be involved as the scholar instead of the uh, interpreter, if you will, I think that is very, very important to the recovery of the cultural artifacts and the continued preservation by indigenous peoples 
who have been, frankly, underrepresented, misrepresented, and oftentimes decimated by the very explorers who came to do those things. So I, I'm very glad that we're not in that time of of our culture and our earth history that we've evolved a little bit from there, thankfully. Absolutely, so, yes. Well, Richard, thank you this evening for joining me, um, and please give my best to your wife. And uh, for all of you who've been listening this evening, this has been The Vibrarian Show. My name is Joelle. I appreciate your time and your ear exploring these topics with me from each week. Now, normally my time of broadcast is on Thursday evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, but since that was the ex Equinox Day, we had a special edition of my show this evening, but please do tune in this Thursday. My guest is going to be Dr. Tracy Johnson, and she is the creator of a tool called Oracle Cards. Uh, her particular Oracle Cards are known as the Air Cards, A-I-R Cards, and she is going to talk about how she came to even begin to work with um, her psychic gifts and her spiritual abilities to come up with this system for communicating um, with the angelic realm. And it's I'm just super excited about that conversation. So we could be talking about anything on the Vibrant Show. You just really never know. We've talked about past lives. We've talked about astral travel. And we haven't talked about Bigfoot yet, but I'm sure that we're going to have a conversation about that too. We've covered ghosts and everything. So Thursdays are really fun on the Vibrant Show, and I would invite you to come back Please do check out the Facebook page and continue to spread the vibes, the good vibes, the positive vibes, the joyful vibes to everyone around you because this is how we are uplifting humanity and improving ourselves by being in this higher vibrational energy. Richard, did you have any last words for our audience about the, you know, the equinox and the Mayan that you would like for them to know before we close? And what's the question? I, I, oh, I was saying, do you have any last words for our audience? <laughs> for audience? For, the, for the show, do you have any last comments before I close? Yes. <laughs> yes, the last uh, the ones I have changed to mention too, and the different places we have absolutely the initiation place the area. This is Ekbalam, so where the shamans pass through to the building from the fifth level. The number five or the fifth level is, is really important in the Mayan culture too. Inside to the temple, there are beautiful decorations with jaguar, mask, corners, everything. So this this place, according to the books, where the one shaman initiation, absolutely that place is the beginning, and then come to be like the leaders shamans leaders like those two and 
this time, thanks to the Joel, who gave me the chance to time to share my, this part of the history, my Mayan culture, uh, apologize me if I talk with my passion about his culture. But it's my culture. It's why yes. it's my place. It's my people. Mm-hmm. It was that I used this portion system to follow it. Not only because by the value is exactly my my uh, uh, person, my personality is like is my attitude or my service is portion. Okay. Mm-hmm. We invite we invited America, North of America, to visit this part of our Mexico country. Uh, thank you, Joel. Thank you, Joel, to give me this opportunity to share with you group this beautiful information. Thank you, Richard. I love you so much and just would be hugging you, and I hope to be seeing you soon. To each of you who've been listening, thank you this evening. I wish for you that this week your life will be filled with so many blessings that they spill out out of your arms, and onto the world around you. The light in me absolutely honors the light in you. Namaste. Thank you very much.